We've been moving through this incredible sermon Jesus has been preaching uh, for a number of weeks now, and I think I have just one sermon left in Luke 12. This morning we're considering a very awesome topic, the return of Jesus Christ. He wants to, to bring us into what is a fascinating thing if you think about being there as he taught this. He's talking about being ready for his return, but he's still there with them. He hasn't left yet. And so I think that the benefit for us is that we, we can see what's taken place. And we're in that place where we're waiting for his return. Um, these passages are especially helpful for us. And as he gave those words to his disciples at that point, I think he had us in view as well. I think the blessing is ours as well. And so uh, we're going to dig into Luke 12, verses 35 through 48. I titled the sermon, Ready for the Return, Ready for the Return. And let's just move verse by verse through here and, and, and take these verses as they come. Readiness and reward, readiness and reward. Verse 35, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Now, what an interesting uh, story he begins to tell. So Jesus, illustrating the point, tells about a, a master who has a home, a, a, a group of, of servants that he leaves in charge of his home while he goes to a wedding feast, and it's, it's late in the night, and they don't know when he's going to come back. But what are they to do while they wait? Well, they're to be ready, awaiting his return. Some of these things stand out. They're to be dressed for action, dressed for action. So don't be in your pajamas, right? I know it's nighttime, and I know you may be inclined to go to sleep, but don't do it, he says. Stay in your clothes. Keep your shoes on. Be ready to serve. Be ready for his return. Keep your lamps lit and burning. Don't let the oil run out. Keep them lit. Keep the lights on. So as he approaches the home, he knows there they are. They're ready. Wait at the door. Don't just sit on the couch or, or go watch TV in the back room. Be there at the door. So at the slightest knock, you're like, well, welcome home. Welcome home. Be awake and alert. Awake and alert. Thinking about these things, I couldn't help but think of my grandparents. Uh, oftentimes, growing up in Yakima, there would be many trips to Spokane. And many times we would try these trips after work, the workday was finished. And uh, depending upon how many stops we had to make along the way, we would get there sometimes, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock or later in the night. And what we found as we visited Grandma and Grandpa is they were elated for us to visit. They couldn't wait for us to arrive. And when we arrived, they wanted to bless us. And for my grandma, that meant cooking. And so she would have like these full meals. I remember one time we pulled in, it was after 11 o'clock at night. We were sleepy. And we got there and the door swings open. As soon as we pull, we haven't even put it in park yet. They're here, you know, they run out. Come in, come in, come in, come in. Okay, we know you're hungry. We've got the casserole. We've got the side dishes, the bread. We had a full meal. And we were just like, oh, my word, I'm so tired. And now don't forget to have seconds. It was like that, right? And what did we feel? Love. That was love. That was a treasuring of that relationship, a readiness for our arrival, and a blessing to, to, to be able to express that love in our direction when we arrive. I can't, couldn't help but, but see that in the way Jesus tells the story here. That's, it's, it's like that. We should be like that as we wait for his return, listening for the, the knock on the door, ready. I want to read from the Good Shepherd's Statement of Faith. This is what we say uh, we believe and teach the blessed hope, the personal, imminent coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for his redeemed, uh, for his redeemed ones, and his subsequent return to earth with his saints to establish his millennial kingdom. All mankind 
both saved and lost, will share in a literal, physical resurrection. That's, that's bodies. Our bodies will all be raised. The lost to everlasting conscious torment in the lake of fire. The saints to everlasting conscious joy and blessedness with the Lord in a newly created heaven and earth. Okay, so what we've done is we've taken the, the scope of eschatology, all of the prophesied end times events, and we've tried to condense them down. Well, what is that, two sentences? That is a theological mindstorm right there. That, that's tough. Um, but we got it small and concise because we want it to be tangible. And, and one of the challenges of, of studying the end times is it's just, it just messes with your head. All of a sudden, you think you get it, and then, you know, you're all confused, and this arrow's going that way, and then this happens. And so here's my encouragement with end times work. Don't get lost in the minutia and miss out on the blessings of it. We are to be a people who are delighted and anticipating the coming of Christ and the consummation of, of redemption history. And it will come. He will come bodily, personally, and imminently. He's close. His, his time is near. It could be today, friends. could be today. Have you thought that today? I had a great grandma. I've told you before. She, she woke up every morning. One of her first statements out of her mouth was, maybe today. Maybe today. He'll come. Hmm. Here's my attempt at simplifying an eschatological timeline. I looked at too many charts, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to make my own. I'll just keep it simple. Um, this is a pre-trib, pre-mill timeline. This is what we hold to as a church. Um, I want to point a few things out here. This is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, followed three days by his resurrection, and then his ascension, okay? Now, the church age, in, in its fullness, began at Pentecost, 50 days later. So that would be like right there. And we are in the church age. We together share in this work. Take the gospel. What's the mission? Go to the ends of the earth and preach, proclaim, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Teach them to obey. So it's not just conversion, it's discipleship. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. At some point along the timeline, and we don't know when, he will come back. There will be a rapture, a return. Christ will come to get his bride. He will take her to himself. Now, we have this in front of the seven-year tribulation, which will occur on this earth. It is coming. Uh, we don't know when, um, but it will be, I think, pretty clear when it unfolds. Uh, the rapture, we believe, at least we really hope, happens before the seven-year tribulation. Uh, there are so many texts that seem to point to this, but I will just say this. Uh, there are other texts that do point that it's possible the rapture would be closer to the return here. So like a one event where the, the church is brought up to meet the, the Lord in the air and they return together to establish the millennial reign. Um, that would be a post-trib uh, rapture position. I think uh, believers can embrace both of those and, and find great unity. It's very difficult to be overly dogmatic about your view about pre-tribulational or post-tribulational rapture. Um, there's passages that kind of speak to both. Um, we believe that the rapture will happen and then the return will happen and we're hoping that the tribulation is not something we have to go through. But I will say this, if we do, we're gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay. Because God is not a God who holds wrath for his children. The wrath has already been poured out. He will protect, provide, give grace, and whoever's lives are lost in any tribulation, they will gain Christ. They will gain all the more. And so don't fear the tribulation. We fear no wrath from a father. He is a father, no longer a wrath giver or executioner. The millennium is a thousand years. We believe that it is a literal thousand years. That's what the Bible says. We interpret the Bible literally, so we espouse uh, the position of a thousand-year reign. This is Jesus on this earth, visibly reigning and ruling, and we believers together with him on earth for a thousand years. Satan is bound, 
And at the end of those thousand years, he is released for a short time, right before the final judgment, which is going to be a massive battle, and then all will stand, all who were uh, unsaved will be raised and stand before the great white throne, judgment of God. Upon that judgment, those who are not uh, believers in Jesus Christ alone in their faith and their hope and their joy, they will be thrown into the lake of fire and they will suffer there with physical bodies forever under the wrath of God. It's not just a flash in the pan, you burn out and then it's over. No, it is a literal suffering, physical, feels like fire burning on you under his wrath forever. You don't want that. You don't want that. It's real, friends. It's real. However, for those who trust in Jesus Christ, there will be a new heaven and new earth remade for eternity. And we can't even begin to fathom the glory of an unfallen, new created earth. Think of this. It's going to be incredible. The lion will lay with the lamb uh, the children will be able to play with the snake and not fear, right? Think of all of the things. C.S. Lewis dreamed of, of flying up a waterfall. I don't know if you can do that. C.S. Lewis thought maybe we could. I don't know. Our imagination runs wild with the greatness of our future with Christ. In a physical earth, which is what it was always intended to be, plan A from the beginning. So that is what we see prophesied in the pages of scriptures, and that will come to pass, we believe, as we have been uh, told from the, the word of God. Now, from Paul, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Here's an awesome one. I read this a lot of times at graveside services. For the Lord himself, that's Jesus, will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet. We just sang about this, right? The sound of the trumpet will sound and the Lord will descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with those who have been raised, those believers who've been raised from the grave, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. His return, his rapturing of his church. What an awesome future hope. Friends, the body that you have is not temporal. This body is fading toward glory. It will be remade. It will be remade for eternity. And so we've got to regard our bodies as, as we ought, right? Don't disdain the flesh and esteem the spirit. We to, we're to esteem the body as eternal, something that will be remade for, for forever, and esteem the spirit. And so we have to ask the question then, if we are to be ready, what does readiness look like? I mean, am I really supposed to sleep with my shoes on? Uh, you know, should I sleep next to the door? What, what are we doing? As, how do we do this here today? I found a passage in Titus 2 asked that it be read for the call to worship, and I want to just let this answer the question. Church, what does it look like to be ready? Listen to what is spoken here. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That would mean Jew, Gentile, slave, free, rich, poor, Right? Salvation is given to all freely, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and training us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. There's a huge piece of readiness, is it not? We are set free from sin to live as those who've been set free from sin. Holy, godly, upright, honoring to God. Not as debtors to sin, but as slaves of God. Obedient, joyfully delighting in our freedom that we've been given in Christ. Renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions. Shining like light in darkness. Aliens. 
in a strange land. All of this happens in the context of waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from what? Do you see the emphasis of this? He died to purchase us from sin, lawlessness, disobedience. His goal is to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Zealous for good works. Think of a groom preparing his bride. He's dressing her beautifully in white, pure and clean. And on that day, the wedding day, the the great bringing together, the bride is pure because of the work of the groom. Zealous for good work. So sum it up with these four points. Readiness looks like, for the believer, a settled trust in Jesus Christ, right? I'm not trying to earn my salvation. I'm trying to, trying to deserve forgiveness. I am settled in my confidence that Jesus is my life. His death satisfied the wrath of God fully, and in him I'm forgiven. If that is not where our readiness begins, all of the rest of this is, is, is foolish and lacking. We must be ready by trusting in Christ and in Christ alone as our Savior and Lord. I put this question to you. If today you were to die and you found yourself standing before the pearly gates of glory, and the Father himself came and said, wait up there, stop. I want to ask you one question. The way that you answer this question will either grant you entrance into this glory or will reveal that you are not to be here with me forever. The question is, why should I let you in? Why should I let you in to my heaven? What are you going to say? What answer are you going to give? If you say, well, Father, I, I, uh, yeah, I tried to be a good person. I, w- I attended Good Shepherd for like 20 years. I sponsored a, a New Hope child, right? I mean, I, I was, uh, 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 excelled in work. I, I, I was liked by my coworkers, was successful. I tried to be friendly and, and, and helpful. I wasn't, you know, wasn't as bad as most people that I know. <laughs> you see how silly this is? This list holds no water. There is nothing here that is going to say, oh, wow, really? Okay. Well, you do deserve glory. Here's what would be an answer, I think, that would be welcomed. This is where I would begin. I would say, Father, I don't deserve this. I'm a sinner. I've broken your laws beyond all number. I can't even imagine how many times I've sinned against you. I don't deserve this. I'm a rebel. And left to myself, I know exactly what I deserve, the fires of hell. I have but one claim. I have trusted totally in Jesus Christ and his life, the life I never lived, and his death, the death I deserved, that it was for me. That's my only hope. I claim the name of Jesus as my Lord and my Savior and my hope alone. That's all I have to say. Friends, that's the only answer. That's the only answer. That is the only hope that you could ever build your life on. A settled trust in Jesus Christ alone. Now, it doesn't stop there. It starts there. That's the beginning of life, right? When when you see Jesus as the all-satisfying Savior of sin and master and commander of your life, things change. You say, well, well, lead me on. Let's go. 
Tell me where you want me to go. Tell me how you want me to live. Tell me what to treasure. Tell me what not to do. I delight to obey. This is what faith in action looks like. It's fervent obedience. I want to obey. I want to obey from the heart. I want to obey thoroughly. And Lord, oh, when I disobey, I'm going to call it that. It's disobedience. It dishonors you. And I bring it back. And I, 1 John 1, 9, right here, I confess my sin. I lay it at your feet. And I trust your provision in Christ for my sin. And I ask that you cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Help me to obey. I turn from that sin. I live for you. That is the Christian life, friends. Every day. Every day fervent obedience. That's readiness for his return. Eager expectation. I think this is an area we could grow in. An eager expectation. How many days this week did you think about the return of Christ? How many days did you wake up like my grandmother saying, maybe today. Wouldn't it be awesome? Come, Lord Jesus, come. We don't only groan and long for this when we watch the news, right? And we're just like sickened by what we see in our world. We should long for this with the delight to meet with Him face to face, not just escape the darkness here all around. And then zealous for good works. Don't miss that. Look at the last line. He is purifying for himself a people for his own possession. You are the possession of God through Christ, and the goal of that, that purchasing, that purifying, is that you be turned loose in this world, right here, right now. Zealous for good work. that glorifies him, obeying him, blessing others. Oh, I see that NRA hat. Let's talk. Do you know Jesus? Do you know? Do, are you trusting in Jesus? Praise God for the boldness of that point of contact for what he can do through his people. Hmm. Settled trust, fervent obedience, eager expectation, zealous work. That is readiness for his return. Now Jesus goes on. He says this, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes, truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. There's a lot here in these verses. One is to say that last little bit, if he comes in the second watch or in the third, he could come any time don't grow weary while you wait. Don't give up hope about his return. He has the day. The Father has set the day for the return. It's going to happen. There are many days that have passed. Tens of thousands of days have passed since Jesus said these words. And we here have the same longing that every generation a faithful follower of Christ has had. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come today. Come today. What is an amazing thing to consider is the reward of those who wait, who are awake, who wait by the door, who are godly, ready, dressed for action, working when he comes. Listen to what he does. He dresses himself as a servant and wraps around his waist the servant's clothes. And then he says to the servants, come sit at my table. My table. Not, not our table. The master's table is set for us. And the master serves the meal. Can you imagine that? This is the glory of Christ, friends. It's the glory of Christ. He is the highest exalted above all else. Every other name falls and bows before Him. And yet He comes, even in His glory, to serve us at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Amazing. That's going to happen. 
It's, it's coming. Like a thief in the night, verses 39 and 40. But know this, Jesus says, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. <laughs> okay, now we're in a different story. The story at the beginning was one story. Now we've got another kind of mini parable functioning here. And Jesus says, for all those guys who post online, this is when the end will come. You know, you could pretty much guarantee it's not happening that day. Like, I'm, I'm just like, will you guys please stop that? Because you're taking days away from opportunity here. <laughs> you're not going to predict his return. You can't do it. But be ready for it. Be ready for it. What, what wisdom there is in this. We are to be expecting what is unexpected. And I just have to pull back and make some observations here. God, in his redemptive work, has nearly always moved in ways that no one expected. Just think of it, right? You're going to choose a guy who can hardly speak and make him the spokesperson in front of the most powerful man on earth to deliver your people out of Egypt? God did that. You're going to take a shepherd boy and make him the greatest king? Yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing. You're going to bring the Messiah through a teenage girl who has a, a scandalous pregnancy, quote-unquote, by the Holy Spirit? No one believed her, right? That, except for Joseph, who had to be told by an angel directly. This was scandalous. The Christmas story is mind-blowing, and that is exactly the plan of God. No one saw that coming. There were no uh, parties thrown for the Messiah's arrival except for shepherds, the least likely to be invited to the birth of the Messiah. That the Messiah would save his people by dying? No other Savior has victory in dying. That's God's plan. His victory came in his death, burial, resurrection his return is certain and sure it will come we are to expect it we are to be waiting by the door but we will not know when it will come it's it's unexpected in that sense i like this passage we're going to get there in a few weeks in luke 17 uh, jesus says for as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to another so the Son of Man will be in his day. That, it's like that. Have you ever watched a thunderstorm? For folks out here, maybe not as much. Um, if you live somewhere else in the country, you know, and you get thunder and lightning, you can go sit out there and watch it. Our family loves watching the good thunderstorm and lightning. Here's what's interesting about it. You might know the storm is happening. You can't predict the lightning, where it's going to show up, where it's going to go. That's what Jesus is saying. You may sense the storm. Oh, the times are drawing near. But you will never know exactly when that lightning is going to strike and how it's going to move. That's the Son of Man in His appearance. And so, there would be some, even in the, the earshot of Jesus speaking these words. Some today, even some in churches across the world today, hearing preaching and saying, eh, I'll think about getting ready someday. I got life to live first. I got things I want to accomplish. There's priorities that I have, and I don't want the Lord messing with those. First, I want to do this, and this, and this. You know, and then, you know, after I've had my day, my fun, then I'll think about repenting. Don't do that. Don't do that. First of all, it's a false dichotomy. The suggestion that the world is offering satisfaction that God is opposed to <laughs> or, or can't offer is foolish. The satisfaction that God offers the world can't hold a candle to. That's a lie from the pit of hell that there's pleasures to have in the world that are greater than the pleasures of God. Right? Psalm 16, 11, at your right hand are pleasures 
forevermore. Why would I ever want this little flicker when I could have the sun? The second part of this that's so foolish is, how do you know that today is not your last day? How can you say that? How do you know that today isn't the day he'll return? That's what Jesus is pushing us to. It's going to come like a thief in the night. He's going to come. You don't know when he's coming. So be ready. Be ready today. Young people, listen to me now. Listen. You have a lot of years ahead. Don't presume. Don't presume that you can just choose how you want to live and then someday you'll get right with God. There are many people Thousands of people in hell today who had that presumption. They're like, oh, I'll just live the life I want to live. And then they die and they go to hell. So I'm, t- I'm telling you, young people today, listen close. Take this seriously. Jesus is King. He is Lord. He is calling you today. Don't wait. Don't put off till tomorrow what you need to do. Work on today. He could come back tonight. Are you ready? Are you ready for that? Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, and they were giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. You could read this, and God came and destroyed them all. That was God's flood. It was his judgment on sinners. They mocked Noah. Oh, this guy, he's preaching righteousness and judgment. What a fool. Look, he's building this boat. It hasn't even rained around here. Let's just party. We'll deal with that later. Those were the people pounding on the door of the ark, the door that God had sealed closed. And as the waters rose, they drowned in his fury and wrath. There is a place in preaching for threat and warning. I hope you feel it. We should. Jesus, the preacher of preachers, is calling us in this way today. Are you ready? Are you ready? Now the faithful manager, this is awesome. Verse 41, the faithful manager, Peter said, uh, question. (laughs) I love Peter. He's the guy that speaks when everyone else wants to, but is afraid to. You know, he just is like, hey, Lord, question. Hate to interrupt. Um, Here's the deal. Uh, You know, are you telling this parable for us, the disciples here, you know, the 12, or is this for everybody else? Because you're kind of freaking us out, (laughs) right? I mean, like, are you, are these warnings for us? Or for those people out there? Listen to how Jesus responds. The Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? That's his answer. Now, Jesus is so Jewish, right? His, his rabbinical just brilliance is on display here. He answers questions all the time, it seems like, in questions and so he asks the question and he does it in a way that basically says yeah this is for you peter apostles leaders in the church those who are set over the household the manager the stewards those who are given positions of leadership and authority this is especially for you now it's for everybody too but yeah it's for you blessed is the servant whom his master will find doing when he comes, uh, find so doing, when he comes, truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So think a little bit about this, uh, this, this situation. This is another mini parable Jesus tells. He's speaking of now a manager of a household. This is a, maybe a lead servant. Uh, the one who is, while the master is away, he is to kind of manage and, and feed and run the operation of the master's house. He's in a position of leadership, influence, authority, responsibility. 
It's his job to take good care of the master's resources, the master's people, uh, to, to, to manage his household well. Hmm. For the faithful manager, there is a greater reward. It's an interesting reward, isn't it? The responsibility that's given here in a small part is built out in his proving of being faithful and trustworthy and obedient to the master, even while he's gone, such that when the master returns, he says, I set you over all things, all my possessions. It reminds you of the parable of the minas, right, in, in uh, the book of uh, the gospel of Matthew that Jesus tells. You know, the different servants were given a certain amount of money. Go and, and take that money and use it well. Be wise with it. Get a return. He says those who were faithful with a little will be entrusted with a lot. The faithful manager. This is the faithful elder, the faithful teacher, the faithful preacher, the one who is to shepherd, lead, care for the flock while the, the, the good shepherd is away, while the master is gone. These are leaders in the church. And encouragement to all those who serve, who lead, who influence and teach and shape. Not just those in positions of identifiable authority, but heads of homes. Think of this. Men, husbands, fathers, mothers with children, teaching, shaping, influencing. The way you shine at work, the way you carry the name. We will all give an account for how we took what we were given and what we did with it. Faithful leadership and stewardship. I love the word stewardship. I think the New American Standard says steward, the faithful steward. I like that word because it, it reminds us that all that we have is God's, and we are called to steward it. It's not ours. We're not called to cling to it, possess it. We're His. He not only owns all we have, He owns us. We're His. And we're called to take that and leverage it for his kingdom work, for his glory. Now, in contrast to that, <laughs> a, a, a far more scary scenario. The unfaithful manager, verse 45. But if that servant says to himself, ah, my master is delayed in coming. And he begins to beat the male and female servants and, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. That's hell, friends. That's hell. That servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating but the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, will receive a light beating. For those who say, you know, what, what about the people who live on the far-off island? And they never hear the good news of the gospel. Will they go to hell? According to Romans 1, the answer is yes, they will. They have sufficient revelation of God through His creation alone to be sentenced to eternal hell. They refuse to acknowledge him. They refuse to, to bow. And so, yeah, the, the answer is yes. And there are many, many, many people who have gone to hell in that way and will suffer forever in the fires of hell. But it seems here that at least in that sense, the lesser you know of God, uh, of his revelation, certainly of the gospel, will be connected to that, the nature of your punishment, even in hell. God is just. He is just. But for those who sat in the chairs at church, for those who studied in seminary, for those who had access to the scriptures and read them, certainly for those who were put in positions to minister the word, to even to preach or teach the gospel and prove unfaithful, there will be a severe beating. Friends, this makes me tremble. 
I'm standing here before you. I, I, I feel the weight of these words. The rich heritage that God gave me, the opportunities to study His Word under brilliant teachers and, and, and ministers of the Word over the years, to, to, to have access to the podcasts that we have to, to hear preaching and teaching week after week. Do you feel how significant that is? Disobedience and disregard. The unfaithful servant says, ah, he's not going to come. It's just another day. Let's do what we want. Let's take our position and make it about us. Let's take the kingdom resource and take it for ourselves. Prosperity gospel. Let's take the position of, of influence and wield it in abuse of the sheep rather than in protection and care of the flock. There are examples that I have seen in my lifetime of pastors and leaders in churches who have done exactly what Jesus describes here. And it causes me to tremble. By your grace, O oh God, may you find us faithful. You see, if I think somehow I'm better than one of these who has gone and become apostate or has, has abused what God has given in that responsibility, it's pride. Lord, hold me, keep me, ground me. One of the joys of having an elder board is that I don't have to stand alone. I don't have to carry this weight alone. We share this together. We have men who are raised up by God, qualified, brought before the congregation, affirmed as, yes, we believe God has led this man, qualified him to shepherd, and then to shepherd together with them, to hold one another accountable, to work together in this. It's a blessing. I'm thankful for a healthy church that has men who are qualified who take this seriously. By God's grace, may the generations of this work in Good Shepherd, long after we're gone, may they feel the weight of this warning for all who are placed in leadership. In the end times, Peter writes, scoffers will come, they will come scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. It's just another day. Are you worried about His return? That's not coming. Just live your life. Do what you want. You know what's behind these words? You don't have to answer, right? You're free. Do whatever you please. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It happens, and it will happen more as the times draw near. People who've been raised up to lead and speak and teach. Josh Harris, this unbecoming unchristian. Oh, pray for that man. What is he doing, right? What, do you realize there's hell to pay? He could come today. Justice and retribution are the cornerstone of God's glory and they will forever be expressed as expressions of His glory, His greatness. Some, some people will say, well, why is there a hell? Why doesn't God save everybody and then just bless us all in heaven? And I'll tell you why. Because hell is an expression of the greatness and glory of God. It is the just expression of vengeance and wrath and retribution. And that, too, will someday be rejoiced in by the saints, not because people are suffering, but because it is just and right. Retribution is the application of punishment that fits the offense. God will never over-punish, nor will He ever under-punish. He's the perfect judge, and He is the executioner. 
Behold, I am coming. Jesus says this. I am coming soon. This is Revelation 22, right before the end. He says this. I am bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. And let me just tell you this. When he came first, he came humble. He came as a, as a baby, right? A suffering servant. He comes again riding on the white horse with the sword in his mouth and he will tread down the nations in the, the winepress of the wrath and fury of God. You do not want to meet him in that way. Meet him today. Right? Bow to this king. Turn to him. Repent of your sins. Trust him as Savior and Lord. And you will long for his return, not dread it. He closes with these words, and oh, these meet us today here. Here we are, friends. L listen, listen to what we've got. I mean, consider this. You have the entire Bible open before you. You've been sitting now for a number of minutes hearing the preaching of God's Word through the power of His Spirit. You've heard a sermon of Jesus Himself here, and, and this is what He wants you to walk away with today. Everyone to whom much was given, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. What do we make of this? Well, it's really the question, what did we do with what we were given? Did we walk out the door and say, well, yeah, it was inspiring. It's always good to punch the time card in church. Now let's get, well, get on with our week here. Let's do what we really want to do. And squander this opportunity? Or do we bow before the God of all of creation and say, help me get ready. I need, I need to be ready. This week needs to be a week of readiness for your return. I just encourage us today as we respond with the question, are you ready for his return? If it was today, let's say uh, two o'clock. It's not going to happen then, sorry. <laughs> but if, in fact, it was at two o'clock and all of a sudden the trumpet sounded, I'm not going to try to even pretend to make that sound, but you can imagine that. And the clouds are rolled back in the east and like lightning from the east, the Lord comes and he raptures his church. Graves burst open of dead saints from of old. And all of a sudden, those who are alive here who are trusting in Christ are caught up to meet him. Holes in the roof, maybe. Who knows? You ready for that? Here's the question. Do you want to see him? Or are you afraid to see him? That may be the easiest way to tell if you're ready. <laughs> because if you believe this, if you believe the good news of the gospel, you can't wait to see him. You're longing for that. Oh, come, Lord, come. My treasure, my joy, my life, my portion, my eternal focus and delight. I pray that you are ready today, that Jesus is all of those things for you. If not, today can be the day when he becomes that. Just lay down all the other junk that's in the way. Just, just come and just lay it at the foot of the cross. Lord, I, I turn from living life for myself. I, I take myself off the throne that belongs to you alone. I bow before you. I repent of my sins. I turn to you and I say, save me, save me. I trust in your finished work for me to pay for all my sins. Make me your child today. Just like that. It's a free gift. You don't have to earn it. He did all the work already. Just look to him in faith and you will be saved and you will be secure forever. And he will begin to work in you. He will begin to change you the things that you used to love, you'll look at and be like, wow, that was small. 
that was really not that big a deal. And all of a sudden, new things will begin to stir in your heart. A new love, a new joy, a new delight. You begin to see sins that used, used to just be like, oh, that's normal, that's just who I am. And he'll say, no, that's not who you are anymore. This is who I'm making you to be. Let's bury that. Let's put that in the tomb. Put it to death. There is nothing like walking with Jesus in the light of his presence, in the, in the, the, the sound of his voice day by day. Settled trust, fervent obedience, eager expectation, and zealous work, friends. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are grateful for these warnings of our Savior. We pray that we would heed them, really feel the weight of them, and that through your Spirit, even now, you would work our response out that you would stir in our hearts, shape us, fashion us in, in the gospel, in the transforming power of the gospel. I pray for any here in this room today who came in this room and were not saved, not followers of Jesus, trusting in Jesus as, as salvation. I pray that even now you would bring them to life, that you would stir their focus to be toward Jesus and their trust to settle upon Him alone. And Lord, for all of us who have already done that, we pray that increasingly we would be a, a people who are passionate about holiness and godliness and living our lives in such a way that, that if you came back even now, we would rejoice, Lord, at your appearing. I echo the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards' father in, in his 19th resolution to not do anything that if, when I was doing it, you returned, I would be ashamed. Lord, make us like that. Help us to be resolved this week to, to choose wisely, to live expectantly and excitedly about your return and, and be holy and godly before you. I pray, Father, that you would accomplish all of these things, Lord, and bless the generations to come through our obedience as we wait for you. Lord, we say, come, Lord Jesus. Come. We're ready. In Jesus' name, amen.